here. It's an extra special day, Groundhog Day, Super Bowl. Anybody excited about that? A few of you, some Chiefs fans in the house. And, and it's going to be like 45 or 50 degrees in February, so like it's just an extra, extra good day. Uh, my name's Eric. I'm the Morris Campus Pastor, and we are so excited about launching a campus here this year. We've been having launch team meetings. If you're curious about the Morris Campus or want to get involved, we'd love, I'd love to meet you and, and get you on that team. So we're going to continue this series called It's Complicated, and today we're talking about tolerance. And the question is, how do I think about tolerance, Okay. This is a word that we hear used more and more over the last several years. And I don't know about you, but if you're like me, it's one of those things where it's like, I, I can't, I'm, I'm there for some, I kind of get that, but then there, it, it almost goes too far, and I don't really, uh, I feel like I get it more than I can talk about it. I don't know how to explain, you know, my views and, and not look judgmental. And, and if you've picked up on that, uh, if you've felt that way, if you've ever, you know, kind of struggled with answers to this kind of question, or the next question is, how tolerant should I be that, you know, the, uh, our culture is saying that you accept everybody to this level to where whatever they think and do is totally okay, and, and, and as a Christian, I struggle with, well, uh, I don't want to not love you, but I believe that what God says is true, and so I don't know if you've ever wrestled with some of those thoughts struggled to come up with some of those answers, but that's what we're talking about today. And my prayer is that this equips you, uh, if you're a Jesus follower, to be more confident in your faith and more confident to live out his love. If you're not a Jesus follower, my prayer is that this would help you just have some insight into what we really believe and what Christians should be, although sometimes we don't get it right or live it out perfectly. And so I just think this is a healthy conversation, and, um, and so we're going to get into it. But over the last 10 years or more, especially in America, maybe you've noticed, maybe you've picked up on this, it's becoming harder and harder to uh, stand up for what you think is right, stand up for what you think is true. If you're a believer in Jesus, to uphold what Scripture says is, you know, true, untrue, good versus evil, what is right, what is sin— and it's been harder and harder to say those things and live those things without the culture saying that we are judgmental, narrow-minded, old-fashioned, bigots, or even hateful. Maybe you've picked up on that. Maybe you've heard people talk like that. Maybe you've felt accused of that, and that's what we're going to talk about. What I want to show you this morning is it's really, I would say it's, it's uh, part of a miscommunication, that we've got a communication barrier. If you're a Christian, kind of between what we try to stand for as Christians in God's word versus what our culture um, kind of pushes at us. And I really think it, a lot of it comes down to miscommunication. But make no mistake, there's fault on both sides, right? This is, uh, there's part of it that the church has to own up to. Maybe you're guilty of it or not. But as Christians, our brothers and sisters, sometimes we've done some damage and we've earned to some degree our own reputation. And so I brought a video. Uh, this is made from a church out in Las Vegas of people from their church who have found their way back to God, but their story involves being pushed away by uh, other Christians in their life. So it's kind of hard to swallow, but I think it's worth a listen. So take a look.
When I gave my life to the Lord, I was a stripper, and I um, made a decision to completely change my life. I had no idea where to go to church, what to do, how to dress, and one day I was sitting out at a coffee shop, and some girls were walking around, and they were telling everybody about their church. Well, I was so excited. I thought, this is going to be it. This is going to tell me where I can go. Maybe they'll be my friends, and instead, um, they took one look at me, and the way I was dressed and how I looked and gave me a dirty look and passed me over. I was going into fourth grade um, and that summer my parents sat me down and told me that uh, they were getting a divorce and uh, I remember being blown away by that and then uh, on top of that we showed up at church over the next few weeks and I just remember feeling this this difference there that we weren't supposed to be there like you know we had divorce slapped around uh, our chest and for me it, it made me feel like there was something wrong with me I trusted Christ when I was in high school um, decided to go to Bible college so I could figure out uh, some of the answers to my questions as far as the Bible and God and making that work practically during my senior year, I really felt like instead of getting answers and getting help with some of my questions, I got rejected uh, in so much as even the college president uh, calling me out in one of the classes and basically saying, if you just, you know, if you, you still have questions this late in the game, you just don't get it. I grew up in a church for 20 years, and when I went to college, I made a few mistakes and got pregnant out of wedlock. I knew there would be trouble, I knew there would be gossip, but I never expected a phone call from the pastor asking me to resign my membership. Well, for the first time in my life, I was really coming back to God. I was trying to, to really reconnect with Him, and my life was a mess. I was going through a divorce, I was in debt, I didn't have any friends, and so I actually wrote a letter to a friend of mine that I knew from high school. I knew that she was a pretty strong Christian, and um, I thought maybe we could start up a friendship. So I sent her a letter, and a couple weeks later, I, I got a package back in the mail, and I opened it up, and there was no letter. It was just a pamphlet on why divorce is a sin. Well, I struggled with uh, same-sex attraction all my life, and uh, being a Christian and brought up in a Christian home, Christian school, I had difficulties dealing with it, and uh, went to my pastor because I knew there was some kind of issue with me and I had some problems, and instead of receiving uh, spiritual guidance, I received, uh, you know, hatred and I was condemned and uh, I was asked to leave the church. There came a point in my marriage where things got really rocky. I made a decision to trust the people at the church and start telling them about what was happening um, and I expected them to to try and understand. I expected them to help to accept us broken like we were but instead they judged us, they judged me, they blamed me. It was definitely not okay to not be okay. I was five years old, I was going to Sunday school and I seen a statue of Jesus and I knew my grandmother would really like it so I took it from the church and gave it to my grandmother. The next Sunday whenever I went back to church the preacher took me aside and told me I was going to go to hell for stealing and uh, it really scared me and that really turned me off and I asked my mom if I had to go to church anymore and she said not if I didn't want to so I stayed away from church for 31 years and I pretty much went to hell for the next 31 years. 
It made me feel rejected. I was totally crushed. To this day, it affects my family. What good did that do anybody? God forgave me, but the church could. I wish you would have treated me like a brother instead of a piece of garbage. We need to be examples and not tell people what they have to do and what they should do, but just show them what we do. Especially if you're a Christian, that video is hard to stomach. It's awkwardly long because I keep hoping that, like, that's the last person and then another person sits down to tell their story and, um, and it's sad. And I just want to say, if, if you've experienced anything like that, someone that you know or love or care about has, has dealt with kind of the hurt and rejection from someone, you know, in the name of Jesus or a group of people who claim Jesus as their Savior, uh, I just want to, as best I can, on behalf of the church, apologize because uh, there has been lots of times where Christians and people in, standing in the name of Jesus or beating people with the truth of Jesus have pushed people away, judged people, and hurt people. And um, that's not right. And um, at our church, at Mission Bible Church, our heart is to be loving and accepting uh, of everyone that would come through these doors and everyone that we meet as we go wherever we go during the week. That's our heart. And uh, Jesus is our example. And so there's a peace that we can own as a church. And that if we meet someone who, who feels that way, that we can empathize. Because that has happened. And perception is reality for a lot of people. There's a flip side to the coin, though, in this idea of this miscommunication. And it's the fact that I would say our culture has been changing the definitions of some words. Okay, And so tolerance is a big one that gets thrown around a lot. And here's what I would say. Tolerance used to mean... To recognize and respect differing beliefs despite not sharing them. That you can believe what you want, and I might disagree with you, but we can still watch the Super Bowl together, right? We can still be pals. I, I can still care about you, and uh, I'm not going to like push you away or hate you just because you believe differently than me. Um, here's what it's come to mean. Today, nowadays, it means to hold another person's beliefs as equal to your own. That whatever you believe is equally true to what I believe, no matter what religion or lack of religion it is, no matter what it says about how you treat your body or how you treat other people, that I have to just, you know, totally be okay with it and, and, and um, say that it's equally true, which is kind of crazy. It's the idea that there's no objective truth. There's no absolute truth. And it, if you take that, you know, all the way down the line, it gets chaotic and crazy, and society couldn't really exist like that. But it kind of sounds good that you would believe your truth, and I won't judge you or, or offend you or hurt your feelings. And if you're a believer in Jesus, it starts to get awkward, and you're like, I don't, I don't really know. Uh, I believe that there is truth, that God is the truth, and he says what's good and bad and right and wrong and evil and true and things like that. And I want to uphold that, but I don't want to be offensive and judgmental and mean. And so how do I do this? This idea of tolerance sounds so good, so true, so godly, right? That God is love and God loves everyone and we're called to love everyone. And so this idea that our culture has of tolerance, that we would just totally accept everyone perfectly as they are. That I'm like, that sounds like a good thing. And here's what Satan usually does with his lies. He takes something that's true and he twists it just enough. He has a little bit of truth in there so that it sounds right and it feels right, but then he twists it 
to, into a lie so that it's even more confusing than something that's just crazy off the wall, untrue. And tolerance is one. And it comes from this, I think, a misunderstood definition of, of acceptance. And, and acceptance is another word that gets thrown around. I think we've twisted it and, and we've stretched it. So I just want to show you a couple things that are true that you might feel differently in our culture. The first one is this. Accepting someone is not the same as approving of them approving of everything they might think or say or do or believe that i believe you can say i don't really approve of that decision whether that's to your kids or your friends or your parents or whoever it is but i still accept you as a person i still care about you we can still have a healthy relationship i just want you to know that i don't approve of that our culture would say if you don't approve of everything i do pat me on the back for it then you're you're pushing me away you know and that's just not true another way to say it is this accepting someone is not the same as affirming them. Our culture wants to say, unless you affirm my lifestyle, my beliefs, my, my behaviors, everything about me, if you don't completely affirm that, then you don't accept me as a person. And I want to say, that's not true. We can disagree about certain things, but I can still love you. You can still hang out with me. We can still be friends. And uh, it's just kind of been twisted, that uh, idea of acceptance to where if I don't condone everything about your life and decisions, then I'm actually condemning you as a person. And that's the third thing that I just think uh, is not true. Not condemning someone is not the same as, or I'm sorry, not condoning someone is not the same as condemning them. That I can say, I don't, I don't really uh, condone that type of behavior, you know? I, I, I can't say that what you believe about that is true. But I'm not condemning you. I'm not saying you're a horrible person. But our culture has taken it to a degree to where uh, I read one sociologist said it like this, especially with uh, Generation Z, the youngest generation in our country, not completely affirming them is the same as not accepting them at all. And worse, it's seen as hateful. And this is the culture that we live in, and we want to be loving and accepting but to be accepting, it has to say, I totally agree with everything that you believe. I'm totally comfortable with any way that you live. And, and whatever you do and believe is totally good, and it's all the same, and it's all true. And that's not true. And so how do we manage that? And uh, I want to look at Jesus as our example. If you brought a Bible, please open up with me to the book of Luke in the New Testament. Luke is a, a guy who wrote about the life and the ministry of Jesus. And uh, I want to look at a couple passages in Luke. We'll start in chapter 5. We're going to look at basically what did Jesus do and what did Jesus say? How did Jesus tell us to treat people and how did he treat people? And the cool thing about Jesus is he was always consistent. What he did matched what he said every time. So first we're going to look at how, how he did it, how he lived, how Jesus treated people. So in, Matthew, or sorry, in Luke chapter 5, we meet Matthew. Now when Luke writes about this story, he calls him Levi. In, in some translations, because that was like his, his uh, name before Jesus changes people's names all the time. And so, um, but Matthew's a tax collector. And if you know anything about their culture, tax collectors were like swindlers. They would rob from you, steal from you. They would lie to you. They would collect more tax and, and enforce these penalties on you and keep some for themselves. And everyone knew that they were dirty and greasy slime balls. And, and people just called them sinners. And like they were not welcome in other places. And this is who Matthew is. This is what he does as a profession. And look how Jesus accepts him. Luke chapter 5, verse 27. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. 
See what Jesus does? He accepts Levi or Matthew before he's had the opportunity to do anything to change his life, his lifestyle, his actions, and his beliefs. I would expect Jesus to say, hey, if you stop lying and cheating and stealing from people, I'd love for you to follow me. If you would clean up your life and stop sinning so much, we'd love to have you join us. That's not what he says. He just offers absolute acceptance. Now, does this mean he's condoning all of his behavior and the way that he steals from people? Not at all. Jesus doesn't. He wouldn't say that that's right, but he loves Matthew so much that all he actually says is, follow me. And then we're going to see he goes and he hangs out with a whole crowd of people that people thought he shouldn't hang out with. And he doesn't preach at them. He doesn't scold them. He just hangs out with them. Verse 28. Then Levi had a great banquet for Jesus at his house. And a large crowd of other tax collectors and others were eating with him. And here's the thing. This is a whole bunch of other sinful people, right? People that I would think, you know, Levi, Matthew, he's throwing this party in Jesus' honor. And I would think they'd be like, you know what? You throw some cool parties, but if it's celebrating him, I'm not in. Because he's always talking about God and he makes me uncomfortable. And I know he probably doesn't like the way I live. But that's not the case. They showed up for the party, and Jesus is eating and hanging out with them. And in their culture, sharing a meal with someone was the ultimate sign of acceptance. That we are in relationship when we are at a party, hanging out at your house, having a meal together. So much so that other people were bothered that Jesus would spend his time with these kinds of people. There's a pastor and an author named Andy Stanley, and he's got this great line. He said this, people who were nothing like Jesus, like Jesus. And that should be true of Jesus' followers as well. That somehow we would do this delicate dance of standing up for what's true, but loving people so well they would like us anyways, even if they don't agree with everything that we believe. Even if we don't agree with everything that they do or think or say or believe, they would still like you as a Jesus follower. People who are nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. He doesn't you know, say your sin is no big deal. He doesn't condone their sin. He doesn't excuse their sin. But he just loves them. He accepts them. He neither condones nor condemns. It's amazing. And look at who's actually offended in the next verse, verse 30. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, who belong to their sect, complained to Jesus' disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? The New Living Translation says, why do you eat and drink with such scum? This is how the religious people looked at the crowd of people that Jesus is sharing a meal with. And Jesus answers them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And I have come, I have not come to call the righteous, or the people who think they are righteous, I have come to call sinners to repentance. Here's the thing, Jesus was comfortable with people being messy. That's the reason he came. He says, I came for the messed up sinful people. The people that think they don't need me and got it all together and judge everybody else, they can stay on their own. They can be offended by me all day long. But the people who, you know, just admit that they're sinners and they got issues, I can spend time with them. And hopefully they'll come to accept me as their Savior. And Jesus wants to change their life. And this is the same that's true for you and me. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And he doesn't say if you clean up your life, then you can join his club. He doesn't say if you stop doing everything wrong and promise to do everything right, that then you're welcome in his church. He just says, follow me. And if you give me your heart, I will show you the best way to live. I will come into your life. I will offer you eternal life. I will change your life as you know it. And it is sweet. But in the meantime, he just accepts people. He just loves people. He's comfortable with people being messy because that's exactly the people that he 
came for, okay? So this is, this, is how treated, this is how Jesus treated people. If you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and how he just consistently loves people that maybe even have been unlovable to others. But it's also what he talked about. Flip over to Luke chapter 6. I don't know if it's the next page or whatever in your Bible. Luke chapter 6, verse 37. Here's something that Jesus said that actually gets pretty confusing in this whole idea of tolerance and acceptance. Jesus says, do not judge. Which gets really hard if you're a Jesus follower in our culture and you hear do not judge, and you're like, yeah, well, the world says, how do I know that what you say is true is not what I say is true, and we should all just love each other and get along, and it's all okay however you live your life and how, whatever you believe, and uh, who am I to judge you? Jesus said not to judge. But that he's not saying that you can't call sin, sin, that you can't stand for truth. Look what he says. Do not judge, or you will be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. What Jesus is saying is that it's not our place to cast condemnation on other people. He's saying don't put yourself in the place of the judge who brings the gavel down and declares guilty on other people, who gives the sentence to other people, who casts them out and condemns them. He said that's not your place. Jesus is all about truth. He says I am the truth. You know, I am the way to heaven. No one comes to the Father except through me. He was pretty exclusive about truth. And he would tell his followers to stand for the truth, but in such a way that we're not actually condemning other people. What he's saying is, don't be judgmental. I read this. Judgmentalism is the practice of personal condemnation. A judgmental person makes sweeping assessments of other people. A judgmental person assigns them the worst possible motives without any real knowledge. A judgmental person has a pounce and denounce kind of demeanor. Have you ever hung out with somebody like that? It's no fun. You've met people like that. Maybe you've been people like that. Sometimes I can be that kind of person. And Jesus is saying, if you want me to condemn you and hold you, you know, to a perfect lifestyle, then go ahead and expect that of other people. I'll treat you the same way. But he says, don't be judgmental. And, um, our culture has this idea of tolerance and judgmentalism, but it's, I think it's overused and it's misapplied. And since it seems so nice and it seems so good, sometimes as a Christian I feel like, man, the world is nicer than the Christians. That doesn't seem right, right? Like they're all just patting each other on the back and everything's good, and, and then they make us out to be judgmental, and I don't always have good answers. I heard something about two or three years ago from a sociologist who talked about different types of tolerance. And to me it just helped to have better language, okay? And, um, and to, to understand how to have a conversation about this better. So hopefully this helps you. The first is legal tolerance, okay? Legal tolerance says you have the right to believe whatever you want, which I believe Christianity would say all day long. In fact, Jesus doesn't make us love him back. He allows us to love him back. He wants us to come and worship him, but he didn't create us to be puppets who have to worship him. He gives us a say in the idea. This is like the basic First Amendment rights that you can believe however you want to believe. And in this way, we wouldn't be intolerant of what someone says. We might disagree, but we don't have to condemn them and write them off and hate them and everything else, okay? Uh, second one is social tolerance, or you might call it um, cultural tolerance or relational tolerance. This is the idea of accepting someone, no matter who they are, regardless of what they believe, okay? This idea of loving people, caring for people, um, like we can still be friends. And, in fact, that's what Social tolerance says, it says, I value you as a person. We can still be friends, even if I disagree with your beliefs. If Jesus stood for anything, it was this. 
that I will love all people, that I lay my life down for anyone who would, you know, accept it as their, as their forgiveness. And so we should be socially tolerant of all kinds of people, even if we disagree. And we can uphold truth all day long, but be loving and caring and say I value as a person. The third is intellectual tolerance. This is accepting whatever someone else might believe is right, regardless of what you believe is right. Intellectual tolerance says what you believe or whatever you believe is equally true, right, and valid. And this is where it gets really sketchy. This is where it's like, okay, I, I can't be intellectually tolerant of all ideas. You know, the idea that if everything is true, then nothing is true. Okay? This is the one area where I believe Christianity would be intellectually tolerant. But it doesn't mean that we hate you or you're a terrible person. It would just say, I have to disagree with that. I can still socially accept you. Legally, you have the right to do that. But I'm not on the, I can't agree that what you say is true is true if it disagrees with what God says is true. Um, that you can't say anything is right or wrong or more true or more false than anything else. That everything has to be equally right and valid. Okay? And for me, just kind of understanding, because I think our culture just has this lump, ambiguous category of intolerant. And you're like, oh, I don't mean to be intolerant. I don't think we're supposed to. I, and I, I disagree, but I don't have the right words. For me, hearing this, I thought, that just helps me realize uh, maybe we just don't speak it as clearly and as well. So hopefully that gives you some language. But really, if you're a Christian, if you're a Jesus follower, the issue really isn't even tolerance. Because Jesus steps the game up way more than just tolerance. Jesus doesn't tell us to tolerate others. He tells us to love others, which is way harder, right? Like, think of a marriage relationship. No one gets, you know, no one says, I do, to make a pledge to each other and say, I stand before the Lord and I pledge to put up with you until death do us part, right? That's what tolerate means. Jesus isn't telling us to put up with people until we go to heaven. He's saying, love people in the name of Jesus, the way that Jesus has loved you, so that when you go to heaven, you can take as many people with you. And loving someone is way harder than putting up with them or just tolerating them. So we can talk about types of tolerance and, and how intolerant should we be, but the, the real challenge to a Christian is, do you love people? And love involves this delicate balance of uh, I, I accept you, I value you, I don't want to condemn you or, or put you away, put, you know, in my heart, but I have to stand for what's true. A silly way to look at it is like if you've ever hung out with somebody and they got a booger hanging out of their nose, right? I've had this happen. I've been on both sides of this equation, actually, but... <laughs> and both are equally uncomfortable. I'm like, why are you staring at my nose, you know? And I'm thinking the other person's like, why are you staring at my nose? And I'm like, I don't really want to tell you this, but I feel like I'd be a bad friend if I let you go hang out with somebody else with a booger hanging out of your nose. And love demands that I tell you what's true, even if it's hard to say. And I'm like, okay, I'm not happy you got a booger hanging out of your nose. I don't really want to tell you, but I love you enough that I feel like I have to tell you. Or imagine someone's in a canoe down the river, and they don't realize it, and you do, that there's a waterfall coming up. If you're like, well, I don't want to hurt their feelings, you know, I don't... I'm just going to let them go. That's not love, is it? And sometimes we're so scared of offending that we don't actually, in love, speak the truth. And love demands that you would say hard things, not because you're so happy to show off your knowledge or your righteousness, but that you would say, I'm only saying this because I love you. I think probably a lot of us have had relationships where, hey, we're related to or friends with or work with someone that we just don't agree with their beliefs and their lifestyle. And it's not on you to hammer them with that truth every time you hang out. That's an awful relationship, and that will never win them to Jesus. How do we have the balance where you say, you know what I believe? 
You know what I stand for? But we're not have to debate and argue about that every time. I'm just going to hang out with you and love you anyways. And hopefully God will do that. Maybe you'll ask questions. We can talk about this, you know, in a, in a healthy manner. But it's not on you to, you know, smash people with the truth every time. But love does say you will have difficult conversations sometimes because you love somebody so much. The challenge for Christians is to love people the way Jesus loved us. I want to show you one last thing. If you still have your finger in Luke, flip over to uh, Luke chapter 18. Read one more uh, story that Jesus tells. And this is really a word of caution. Because as Christians, it's easy to become, even on accident, that judgmental person. Because we've been following Jesus for a while, and we've been getting better at sin, and we've been trying really hard, and, and God has been changing our life. And so sometimes I'm just not very patient with the guy that doesn't get it. As a youth pastor with the students who didn't grow and learn all the things that I wanted them to grow and learn in. And, and sometimes we can start judging people. And it's not that we mean to be so rude or pushing, pushing them away. It's just that we can just become judgmental even on accident. And Jesus says some very strong words to this. Okay, Luke chapter 18. We're going to start in verse 9. Luke writes this down. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else. Jesus told this parable. I love this. Before Luke writes down the story, he sets the setting, he sets the stage for us. He lets us know who's talking, who they're talking to, and why they're saying it. And he's like, before you hear this story, realize Jesus had a crowd of people, and some of them looked down on other people, and they were just so self-righteous and so proud of themselves, and Jesus wasn't cool with that. So he was talking to them with this story. Verse 10, Jesus tells this story. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee. Now, he'd be a religious leader. You know, he'd like, he memorized the scriptures and he did all these good things. And the other, a tax collector, who we talked about. Scum of the earth is how they were seen. The Pharisee stood by himself and he prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or <clears throat> even this tax collector over here. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all that I get. And this is how he talks to God. He is so proud of his actions and how well he's done at keeping the law. Verse 13, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Verse 14, I tell you that this man, rather than the first, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Here's what Jesus is saying. We need to be more aware and more focused on our own sin and our own need for God's grace than we ever are about anyone else's sin issues. Yes, people have sin issues, and maybe you get impatient, but we have sin issues too, and that we would stay focused on our life our sin, and God's grace to us rather than on someone else's. Philip Yancey wrote a book. It's called What's So Amazing About Grace? And he notes that with Jesus, there are two categories of people. Sinners who admit it and sinners who deny it. And Jesus says, I did not come for those who think they have it all together. I came to seek and to save the lost, the broken, the messy, and that we would focus on our own life and our own issues rather than being judgmental and looking down on other people. And God says, those who humble themselves, I will exalt. So here's like the big takeaway, okay? If you're new around here, 
first time here, new to our church, maybe you haven't even put your faith in Jesus, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. All that we want to say to you as a church is welcome. We seriously are so glad you're here. And we want you to just come as you are. I don't know where you were last night or what you did last weekend, and it's okay. Sin is not okay, but we're okay with you coming as you are. We are just glad that you come. We hope that we never push you away or make you feel offended by shoving our truth at you. But we will uphold Scripture and God's truth. We will strongly declare what God says is good for us and what is right and what is true. And our prayer is that you would come around enough and see Jesus through us and put your faith in him. That you would find real forgiveness and freedom and family through Jesus as being part of Mission Bible Church. But you don't have to believe everything that we believe just to come back next weekend. We would hate if you felt like you had to fake it to fit in with us. That's not what we're about. We see Jesus as just hanging out with and accepting people and letting their heart warm up to God. And we pray that that would happen for everybody that comes. Now, if you're here and you're a believer in Jesus, whether you're first time here or you've been around forever, here's a challenge to us. That we would be the kind of Christians who change the narrative to at least the people in their circle of influence. That this idea of tolerance and acceptance and judgmentalism and all this, that we'd be the kind of Christians who actually carry out the love of Jesus, the whole and real love of Jesus that impacts the people around us. That we would be, as we say in our mission statement, a community of Jesus followers who are committed to being real with God and real with each other and real in the world. Because if we get that right, people who are nothing like Jesus will come to trust Jesus as their Savior. And that's God's plan for us. Let me pray and we'll wrap up. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Jesus as our example. That he always walked the talk, that everything he did and said was consistent. Thank you for his example of love. Thank you for his love to us, that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. He paid the price for our sin and invites us into a relationship. He didn't make us earn it or fix ourselves first. God, for anybody in this room, and no doubt there's some, who have felt that condemnation and, and, and judgment from a Christian or a group of Christians, I pray that you would help them to, to find forgiveness and healing in their heart and to give you another try. God, that they wouldn't hold uh, anything against you that's actually just on us. And Father, I pray that this week as, that, as we go, that we would be the kind of Jesus followers who take your love to the world in a way that changes their life that we would just do our best job of imitating your idea of accepting and loving people while still holding the truth, that they would actually like us even if they're nothing like us, and that through that they would come to know you. We pray that you would use us in this way. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, hey, have a great Super Bowl Sunday. We'll see you next week.